Welcome to the Department of Homelander Security, the officially unofficial podcast for the boys on Amazon Prime Streaming. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about uh, season two. We're actually doing a preview for it. Uh, we got screeners and we wanted to get on here and talk to everyone about what they can expect of season two, what we're thinking of it uh, so far. I think you and I have both seen the first three episodes um, and also do a recap for people who may have, you know, watched the boys and enjoyed it a year ago but have now forgotten everything they knew about it if you're anything like me um and just you know get you up to speed for season two which drops here in a week i think a week or two yeah yeah um it's uh strange yeah i think that uh there must have been a mix-up in the, the amazon software and we're on bezos shit list and but a, a, a bit got flipped and somehow we yeah. got screeners slipped in our mail but uh, we're gonna take advantage of it uh, I quite enjoyed season one of The Boys. We did some Bald Move TV coverage of it last year, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I guess um, we're going to we're going to talk about our initial thoughts real quick. It's going to be no spoilers, just like you know, if you've seen season one, what do we think about that compared to what we've seen so far of season two? And then for people who haven't seen The Boys or might not be unfamiliar, we're going to talk about the concept and the characters a bit, and then get into a little bit more detailed our thoughts about season two. So I guess I'll ask you first, Jim. Uh, as someone who I think you agree with me, you largely enjoyed season one of the boys. Yeah. Um, what did you think thus far of uh, we're, we're more than a, th- a third of the way through the season, uh, three fifths of the way or a fifth, two fifths of the way. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, can't do this. We're three eighths. That's it. We're three eighths of the way through the season. What do you think of the boys so far? Season two? Uh, I'm a big fan. It carries over a lot of the things that I liked about season one. Um, you know, the, the kind of the hallmarks of this show are, a ultra violence and be uh, like a, a semi offensive take on superheroes who are not really superheroes. Uh, they're a marketing arm of a larger company. I I, I don't know. It's, you know, it, it's a very unique, like kind of breath of fresh air in the superhero genre on television uh, or on the screen anyway, because I know this is ba- all based on a comic, um, a series of comics that have been around for a while. So uh, but for me, as a television viewer, primarily, and not someone who reads a lot of comics, this was a big breath of fresh air in season one. And I think season two has held up uh, to the standards of season one. I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. Three episodes in. Yeah, I agree. Like everything you said about the ultra violence, about the subversiveness. Um, you know, we've seen all kinds of dis- uh, deconstructions of the superhero myth. Like Watchmen mm-hmm. probably is the most famous one. And this is kind of in that vein, except for Watchmen is kind of like what it would be a realistic take on superheroes in the real world, maybe with like slight amping up of like Dr. Manhattan, where this is just like, you know, what if we actually had like DC style superheroes like Wonder Woman and Superman? But one of the one of the things I think we don't realize about superheroes is they're not just super in, in the terms of their physical strengths and abilities. They're also super in terms of their moral fiber and their courage and their goodness like the you know superman's incorruptibly yeah. good in a way that like you know not even like marvel heroes kind of like like get to that that stage um this is like what if regular people had superpowers and they were just as petty just as jealous just as prone to jockey for position and were greedy and liked money and fame uh like what if what if that and the answer is, man, you get a lot of psychopathic behavior. And that yeah. drives most of the 
entertainment uh the, the 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 disparity between how you think a person like superman would react with the his actual kind of murderous callous intent um yeah. and then like people's reactions to that like uh uh it's it's just really funny and, and i think it's fully intact like this shows um uh, sense of humor um the just outrageous spontaneous violence that happens but it's exact like in retrospect this show this show loves setting up set pieces that you've seen in a million Marvel movies and DC movies yeah. and then like well you thought it was bad when Superman broke that one dude's neck well what happens if he vaporizes his head you know like yeah. set us up so many of these set pieces that we're familiar with and then just goes gonzo with like you know what would this really like if superheroes were fighting dirty or if a super a normal powered human had to take a super person out like what would be the equivalent of kicking Superman in the balls, you know? And then they do that. And it's just really, it's just really funny. It's usually extremely bloody. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not uncommon for these characters to walk out of situations fully coated in gore, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And, and there's a lot of that stuff that happens. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is like the character conflicts, you know? Like, you know, what happens when you have someone with, like, some courage and moral fiber on an amoral team of antiheroes? Yeah. You know, what happens when Superman gets in a conflict with his corporate sponsors to hold the strings yeah. to his, his his pocketbook? That's maybe my favorite uh, part of this show right now is, like, the, the idea of, like, how do you control someone as powerful as that? Um and it's yeah. it's a concept that they flirted with in season one with the you know the motherly wiles of Stillwell, uh, right? Kind of keeping Homelander in check as much as you can, right? She's of course gone now, so where does that uh, leave the planet with someone a, a monster like Homelander roaming around? It's it's super fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, and, and when I thought Elizabeth Shoes uh, Homelander wrangling could not be topped. In walks one Giancarlo Esposito. Hell yeah. Uh, to play his new boss. And holy shit. Uh, uh-huh. Can Gus Fring cow Superman into submission? Uh, you know, we, we, we that's an open question still with three episodes to go. But it's a damn fine, interesting question to be pondered by this yeah. show. And the way, you know, Giancarlo's sheer weight of his presence is enough to make you believe like, holy cow, I guess this guy can kind of you know, rub Superman's nose in, in a, a pile of piss every once in a while. Uh, it's just enormously entertaining. Um, yeah. So th- there's kind of like a spoiler-free thoughts, uh, again, thus far in the season. Um, I want to talk about, for people who haven't seen this show, uh, kind of like more about the premise of the world, because this this world is full of superheroes, and it has been since, like, I think the late 60s, early 70s, like superheroes started walking among us. Mm-hmm. And unlike a lot of th- these types of properties that that changes the world like it literally hasn't changed the world much because we still have comic books we still have comic book movies we still have action figures it's just instead of these being fictionalized accounts they're kind of like punched up versions of the real life exploits of these heroes um and there's there's levels like you know like and you have a sports league you have the major leagues the minor leagues the bush leagues the intramural rec leagues you have that with heroes too where you have heroes that might be important to a neighborhood or a city or a region 
and they're always looking to get to the next level because that's where the real money is. That's where the real fame is. Yeah. Um, all the way up to like nationally and internationally famous superheroes. And in this universe, the most famous, the top rung of the superhero game is the seven, which is essentially the Justice League. There's an, an, an analogs to almost every member of the Justice League. You got a Superman, a Wonder Woman, a Batman, and we're going to talk about all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you got the, the 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 hero, the seven every hero superhero in the world aspires to be the hero. They're the most popular franchise, and they do the most daring do around the world. Um, and again, as we mentioned in in our synopsis, the difference between these characters with like their Justice League counterparts is unlike the Justice League, which are paragons of virtue. These superheroes are much more like think of Greek gods, and that they are petty. They are you know, vicious, they're mean, they're selfish. Um, they're genuinely just kind of terrible people. They rape, they murder, they plot, they steal. Most of them. Um, yeah. And then the the corporations, though, sell this image of them being like the wholesome superheroes we know. And they like make public statements where they say all the right things and do all the things. They have whole teams of fixers that like pay off victims families when, you know, Homelander gets a little too crazy with his superpowers and settle out of court and keep like their actual nefarious deeds kind of hush hush because that keeps the money train rolling. Right. Yeah. They're Um, they're basically the celebrities of, of that world. Exactly. And they're fronted by a company called Vought International, which controls these heroes' images. They preside over the promotion and demotion of heroes. When, you know, when the member of the Seven dies, well, who gets to replace them? That's an intensely political uh, process, and Vought is the one that handles it. They also manage their multi-million, billion-dollar uh, endorsement deals and contracts and shield them from the liability with their armies of lawyers and fixers uh, from their violent escapades uh, and make those lawsuits go away. Uh, opposing the supers is a clandestine government organization called the boys, which is a ragtag team of current and former CIA operatives, um, and other type of special forces types that all have deeply intense personal distrust of supers, largely because the supers are edging them out of the world. You know, like what does a world need with soldiers and spies and diplomats when you can just send Superman to resolve a regional crisis? Sure. Um, and some of them have personal grudges against the Vought company. Uh, some of them have personal grudges against the superheroes. Some of them have personal grudges against everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the thing about the boys is, with with minor exception, they're just normal dudes. They don't right. have superpowers. They just have your typical kind of like Mission Impossible skill sets, expert demolitions, hackers, etc. Um now again, the 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 draw of this is this is an interesting premise, but the show is just fucking balls out nuts in its violence, in its gore, it's crude and it's rude. Um, it's it's honestly incredibly heavy handed, and it's it's dealing with like the political and cultural issues it's touching upon. It doesn't mm-hmm. touch on them; it tramples and smashes and grabs and pulps. Um, but it's also one of those kind of they do it in the annoying way where extremes at either end of political thought could probably find something to enjoy about the show because, you know, is this anti-hero being ironically sexist and you're supposed to understand that that's a bad thing or is the show kind of poking fun at social justice warriors using these anti-heroes as commentary? Like, I honestly think you could look at it through either end of those lenses because you could take, 
you know, there's so much irony and meta commentary. You can take ironic parts and sincere and sincere parts ironic and, uh, and kind of come up with whatever, you know, worldview you want. Um, but yeah, the hook is the the widespread transgressive ultraviolence. And if you don't like full body explosions, being soaked with gore, crazy uh, ultimate displays of Superman type powers and their logical conclusions when they come into contact with biomatter. This is not the show for you. Yeah. But if you like that kind of old school Peter Jackson wall to wall blood kind of schlocky stuff, then this is absolutely the show for you. Yeah. So, um, so much of the entertainment value of this just comes from the logical conclusions taken taken to their extremes, you know? Um, yeah. And and that that applies to like situations, but also characters. Um, just so many things about the show. It's just you know, okay, we've got this scenario where the, the superhero stories of of old kind of treat it with kid gloves, um, you know, and they've got a very specific message that they want to get across and a moral to tell. In this show, they just go, "What would what would likely really happen if these were normal yeah. people and this was a normal situation with superpowers?" Well, let's do it, you know. And, and a you lot of it so, is absurd too. Oh yeah, you got so many. You got like, what would a superpowered panic attack look like? What does it look like right. when a superhero gets therapy? What does it look like when one has an emotional breakdown? What does it look like mm-hmm. when someone's in a relationship and they get broken up? Like, there's this, and there's also a little bit of like old Hollywood where a lot of these relationships are very managed. Like, oh, you right. know, Homelander and Queen Maeve which are Superman and Wonder Woman are dating. And isn't that amazing? But they hate each other behind the scenes. And yeah. uh, Wonder Woman actually might be a lesbian on top of that. Uh, there's a lot of like just kind of that stuff juxtaposed by these fantastic godlike powers. And I, like I said, I find it very entertaining. Oh, yeah. Um, it's an easy watch for sure. Do you want to talk about like because I thought we could run down the the primary characters to kind of refresh people and, and give people a primer if they're just starting out. Uh, like, let's let's run down the seven um and then okay. uh you run down to seven i'll run down the boys okay uh let's no particular order here um the seven are a train homelander the deep black noir queen mave starlight and translucent and a train uh is the super speed he's kind of like the flash uh character mm-hmm. in this universe he I, I should preface this and say that all of them have super strength and super durability. It's very hard to hurt them. Uh, you know, they, they are superhumans as a default. Um, There's definitely levels. It's not like they're all equivalent. But right, like, right. Yeah, like Homelander yeah. is damn near invincible or is invincible uh-huh. as far as anyone can tell. Uh, same with yeah. Black Noir. He seems to be, you know, pretty strong. Translucent was, I think, impervious to anything. Um, right when he was in his invisible mode yeah yeah uh so a train has the super speed um are we talking about like their plots in season one or are we just kind of talking about them in general just their 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 powers who their archetype is and if you want to talk about like plot i'm i'm down for that too i mean he's got a lot of ego tied up in his speed um and his status as being the world's fastest man and in season one that kind of becomes an issue when he starts to lose some of that speed lose his edge yeah Um, what happens when an athlete starts to break down like imagine you know if you watch the jordan last dance documentary like it's a psychological deal to be a god in something and then start to lose that edge well what happens if you literally are like the fastest man on the planet and yeah. that's your thing and 
and your status the seven. The seven relies on that. They don't want yeah, the like world's the, second the, the fastest seven. man in the seven. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Get the world's fastest man in here now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so kind of a fascinating story uh, for him in season one. And then you got uh, Homelander, who is just basically evil Superman. He's <laughs> I, I, one of his defining powers is he's psychotic. Like he the you know if a train has an ego this guy's got an ego the size of a planet he mm-hmm. he literally does not see that he has any limits and he treats and he might not and he treats people as such um and he might not right so his powers are all the superman powers right laser vision x-ray vision super strength uh super speed hearing flying uh all the stuff you so yeah in, near invulnerability all the stuff you associate with superman and they haven't the the crucial thing is is they have not like ever given him a weakness like he doesn't no. like if uh his emo- his weaknesses are his emotional attachments to people that can sure. be exploited um but like he doesn't have like they haven't revealed that he's got like a kryptonite or if you soak him in like pure buttermilk uh he goes soft or like there's nothing yeah. that we I don't know if they will uh, presumably they have to or else like how the hell do you ever beat this guy but um yeah. I don't know. Maybe emotionally crippled, crippling pain is the thing that 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 bring him down. I, I do want to say that this guy's played by Anthony Starr, who I loved, loved, loved as the lead on Banshee, which no one besides me, I think me, Cecily, and one other person has seen. Uh-huh. Um, but he is so fucking good at being just effortlessly charming and sunshiny, and then he's got this technique where he just lets his eyes go dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the light just goes out from his eyes and nothing else about him changes. And then suddenly he's the most frightening son of a bitch that you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And the heinous acts that he per- perpetuates in season one is just ludicrous. It's mm-hmm. it's it's like bright burned times 11. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I love this guy. He's like just perfect for this role. Uh, then you got the deep who is essentially Aquaman. Um, you know, he talks to sea creatures via telepathy. He's able to breathe underwater. Uh, he has physical gills. I don't I don't know what Aquaman's status on gills is, but this guy's got gills. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he can swim really fast. Yeah. Uh, and he has a massive inferiority complex because as impressive as that stuff is. Right. He is consensus the weakest, you know, like just like Aquaman, you kind of got to inv- invent some situation involving an oil tanker. Or yeah. a beached whale for him to really shine. And you know what? That's not necessarily as applicable in today's world of terrorists and and uh, supervillains and whatnot. So he's got he's constantly feels like he's at the bottom of the t- totem pole of the, of the seven and could be replaced at any time. And that has bad effects on him as a person. Oh, yeah. And it happens in uh, season one, right? Like they they essentially kick him out to Ohio, Sandusky, Ohio. Uh, some sea world punishment uh, for yeah. sexually assaulting starlight uh yeah it's it's a it, pretty good plot with him in in season one yes uh you got black noir who is basically batman uh he's mm-hmm. got a secret identity no one i don't think he's ever taken off his armor no one's seen him um although it would be funny if he turns out to be like uh uh, uh shit who's the guy in the watchman um uh rorschach uh-huh. we're like what if he's been in plain sight like the whole time out of costume and you just don't know it? Right. Like, I, I wonder if they would do something like that. Cause yeah, he's the only one that 
he doesn't have an alt. I mean, I guess none of them really have an alter ego the way they're just professionally full time. They're superhero. Yeah. But he's the only one that like you don't know what he looks like. No one knows what his face or his body looks like. He's head to toe. Like he's Batman, only there's no chin showing. It's uh-huh. all behind armor, uh, an armor suit. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you you mentioned that they don't really have alter egos. They live full time in the vault mm-hmm. tower as well. You know, this is like the yeah. Avengers Tower, right? Where they're they're living there, they're working there. Uh, that is their life, um, and that becomes the an other, issue in season one a little bit. And the other thing is like uh, he is Batman, but Batman, if he has default superpowers of like super strength right. and 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 super crazy regeneration abilities, so he. You know, that's Batman's thing in the Justice League is he's the only regular normie there. But, you know, the, the Black Noir, he's he's also supercharged. Yeah, there's no one on this team who doesn't have super strength uh, and super durability. Uh, he's also yeah. very good with weapons, I guess. Um, that's yeah. kind of his thing is daggers and stuff like that. Uh, and he has super here. Yeah. So. Hmm. Uh, and then Queen Maeve, who is basically Wonder Woman, uh, minus the electric lasso, the energy lasso, minus the jet. Uh, so in the comics she can fly, but she can't fly in the show. She can jump really high. She's got big ups. Okay, so uh, she's like a classic golden age version of like Superman or Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, she also has very, very good sight, very good reflexes and agility. Um, those mm-hmm. are kind of her things. The other thing is, like, while it's true that once you're in the seven, you find out they're all kind of psychopathic shits. Um. A lot of superheroes are unironically set out to be heroic. And yeah. Maeve's character arc was she was one of those kind of bright, shiny people who wanted to do good and then got inside the seven and find out how maniacal it was and got enmeshed in Homelander. And she's kind of been beaten down, but yeah, she still she's... aspires to be like like uh, she 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 wants to be the hero that people see her as. And she tries, but she's just yeah. constantly thwarted by the shititude of the other heroes. And that's the thing. Like she seems like the most decent except for uh starlight and, and starlight and queen may have a lot of, uh, I guess interactions in season one where that struggle comes to the front, you know, like queen Maeve sees starlight come in as this fresh faced, not jaded yet, uh new superhero who wants to do good another woman, people. another woman. The, yeah. Know. Um, and she sort of sees her younger self in her, I think, um, mm-hmm. and, and sees how far she's fallen. Uh, yeah. And Starlight basically has energy powers. She's able to glow and shoot blasts from her hands. I, I Maybe her body in general. I don't know. Uh, eyes, like it, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of energy. And then there is Translucent, um, who's invisible, impervious, as best I can tell, and also dead. So don't worry too much about yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, he gets he gets off early on in season one in a yeah. just spectacular fashion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, did, did, did we get all seven of them because we're actually that going so. into season season two. We're the six right. uh, that they have. Uh, they, they still have uh, the translucent role to fill. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're kind of like a, the hunt for a new a hot new hero is part is a big part of the early goings of the plot. Mm hmm. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. 
It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Okay, so that's the the top dog superheroes. Again, we said uh, opposing them is this uh, shadowy government organization because the the government's got an uneasy relationship. Um, they're they're appreciative of the great powers that the superheroes have, but they've also like in this universe, nine um, eleven happens radically different because of the superheroes' intervention. Um, and the government constantly fears being replaced essentially by these superheroes. So they have this organization called the boys that kind of keeps a tab on them and, you know, surveils them kind of, you know, contains them and when necessary puts them down and they have a a wider range of abilities to kind of do that. And they're led by Billy Butcher, who's played by Carl Urban, who you might know as Judge Dredd or Eomer from the Lord of the Rings saga. Or McCoy Um, from Star Trek. Come on. (laughs) Oh, of course. Of course. The one where he plays kind of against type. Uh, But he's this badass swagger leader of the boys, uh, a CIA operative. He hates supers because... Um, Homelander is involved in the disappearance of his wife, and there is a big pivotal moment last season where I guess we're gonna you know talk about spoilers. Um, no, no, no. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna leave that for this the the what you need to know section. Okay. Um, but yeah, he uh, he he is kind of the leader of the boys. We also have Jack Quaid, which I just found out in my research is the son of uh, Dennis Quaid and uh, Meg Ryan. Yeah, okay. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah, and he's been he's had a minor part in the uh uh Katniss Everdeen what show the Hunger Games. Yeah, he, he played one of the bad the bad kids in the Hunger Games and this. Hmm. Um okay. but he plays Huey, who is a civilian that we were introduced to is madly in love as a girlfriend. This is a very early season one, episode one spoiler. He's holding hands with her on the street and A train in like a drunken stupor just runs through her. Yeah. <laughs> and she explodes Which, into a shower yeah, full, of blood. One of the infamous full body salsifications of human beings in this show. Yeah. Um, and then he, the corporation tries to buy his silence. And then the boys co-opt him to kind of be like their inside spy to plant cameras and whatever. And slowly he kind of becomes enmeshed in the boys bullshit. Uh, but he's like the only he's just a regular ass dude. And all of these super spies and super superhumans. And he's also quickly becoming the moral conscious, the compass of the boys. And I think, uh, which, you know, calling him a regular ass dude is even like damning regular ass dudes. Because uh, like he he's a especially childlike regular ass dude. Um, yeah. And he's treated as such by like his father who's been babying him his whole life. Kind of like arrested so development. He, yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot of growing to do in season one. Ne- never quite launched as a full fledged adult. Yeah. Um, you've also got, uh, Mother's Milk, um, who's the brains behind the boys. Um, he's and his some prime motivator. You seen him? Yeah, no, he's, he's a, he's a big beefy dude, <laughs> yeah. but he's, he reminds me a lot of, uh, the hacker figure on, um, uh, Mission Impossible, Luther. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he's got kind of like, he's like this big dude, but his primary skill set is like intellectual and like code breaking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his prime motivator is keeping his family safe. Um, you've got uh, Frenchie, who is the team's kind of demolition and munitions expert, and he's a bit of a a loose cannon. Uh, he doesn't necessarily obey the team's directives and leaderships as much as some of the others do. Um, and then you've got Kamiko, which um, 
is an accidental member of the boys. She's the only female member. Uh, she is a young woman that they rescued from a terrorist organization that was experimenting on her with this mysterious substance called Compound V, which resulted in her having... She's completely mute, number one. She she doesn't speak, uh, but she also has the superpowers of super strength and like Wolverine-type regeneration. Um, and it is like... Like she's not like Homelander where she's impervious. You can gut her and her guts come out. It just everything grows back like super, super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also, like I said, crazy strong. So those are the primary um, people that you need to know going into season two. Uh, here's the things that you need to remember. Is re- And here's where you need to nope out if you don't want spoilers for season one. If this seems like a cool concept and you want to check it out. Uh, then get the hell out of here because we're going to tell people what they need, what they might have forgotten in season one that they'll need to know for season two. Uh, it was revealed very late in the game that supers are not born as as commonly um, assumed, but they're actually created um, through this compound called Compound V. You inject in the infants and then they start getting crazy superpowers. Um, Which, this my God, com- the scene where they discover that is just choice. It's oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's- it's like if you remember the old uh, Saturday Night Live skit, Saturday Night Live skit uh, Laser Cats, it's that only with babies. It's laser babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a tightly controlled secret, and it's maintained by this corporation called the Voight, Voight International. Um, Vought? But their secret... I, I thought it was Vought. Oh, it's, it's right. It's Vought. Yeah. It's Vought International. Um, and they're, But the secret's jeopardized by two things. Number one, these superheroes that are kind of like past or prime or wanting to take the next step are always trying to get their hands on V that's been leaking out in the street of late because they want to juice and, and enhance her performance. And two, terrorists keep getting a hold of it. And it turns out Homelander is providing terrorist cells with the substance because he wants supervillains to challenge him to give him more power within the, the United States government. Yeah, so you can uh, point they, to and say, see, you need us. You need us. You need. You can't just have the U.S. military overseas. You need us on your team, and you you need to have us working with the government, and maybe even giving orders to the government. Um, so you've got the then the boys, of course, are the, T- the CIA team that's in opposition of them because the government's kind of worried about losing control to the supers, and they don't have superpowers, as we already mentioned. Um, the deep was forced off the seven for sexually assaulting Starlight. Uh, and he has a lot of complicated feelings of inadequacy, um, and he's kind of lost at the, going into season two. Um, he also uh, did we mention that he sees the the his gills as like a hideous deformity, like he's very conscious of yet. people. Yeah, like it, like you know, he's not like he's not like uh, Aquaman, uh, where he's just a regular dude that can breathe underwater. He has these gills, and he's very self conscious of people seeing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a lot of like body dysmorphia because of that, and they play with that concept a lot. Yeah. Um, a Train is addicted to V because he's kind of losing his edge, and he takes it as a way to juice himself up. And as a result of abusing this, he's um, it's doing something to his 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 uh, system. He's suffering from heart attacks. Uh, possibly panic attacks on top of that. And he would have died late last season if it wasn't for Huey and Starlight performing CPR on him. So he's found some se- like the, the secret that, that Huey and Starlight are working together in some way, but they also have kind of like a little bit of leverage over him because they know some secrets about the death of his girlfriend and his physical and inf- frail, inf- uh, frailty. Um, and then it's also was revealed late in the season that Homelander uh, not only raped Butcher's wife, Becca, um, but 
and, and I think Butcher assumed that he disappeared her or maybe murdered her. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that she was uh, secreted away by a bunch of top secret government scientist types. And that she has given birth to Homelander's son. And she's alive and well and living in, in secrecy. And this is all revealed to both Homelander and then Butcher by Homelander uh, in the very last few minutes of this of season two. Uh, and it seems like the Homelander wants to take a personal interest in his son's uh, development. Um and that's primary butcher's primary motivation going into season two is to like get get his wife and free her from this this malign influence of Homelander. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the final one of the final scenes is uh, they had this Madeline Stillwell uh, played by the great Elizabeth Shue. She was the only one that had uh, control over. She had this psychosexual control over Homelander through this bizarre kind of sexual mother role she played for him. Yeah. Um. She also had a baby uh, who Homelander was insanely jealous of, and everyone was assumed destroyed in the explosion that Butcher set off himself because he didn't want to be taken alive by Homelander. Homelander saved him from the blast, and uh, um, we, as we end the season, you know, Madeline's dead. Uh, the baby is probably dead, and that's how we that's how we resume the season season two. Mm-hmm. Did, I, did I leave anything out? I, I mean, you know, about seven hours of television show, but that's going to happen. Sure, sure. Those are, but those are the things you need to kind of like get yeah. plugged into the new season. Um, all right, let's talk about like our, our detailed thoughts of season two. There's some things that uh, we are not allowed to reveal during mm-hmm. the the preview. We got to wait a week before our our detailed spoiler filled uh, recaps are going to come out, but. Uh, Let's let's talk about um, we talked about the subversive humor in the show and um, there's just a lot of really good stuff like Patton Oswalt uh, has a cameo role that is very, very funny mm-hmm. that we cannot uh, reveal the details of. But it's an entire surreal scene that when I, when it started happening i'm like i don't know if this is going to work but patton is just so sincere and funny that it kind of makes it work and yeah. the guy playing the deep is just game for anything man uh-huh. like that guy doesn't give a fuck about how ridiculous he looks um he's just ready to 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 play ball i mean we saw him last season he had this scene where he tries to save a dolphin that's implied that he has a sexual relation with and that goes hilariously wrong uh-huh. um but I, I i enjoyed the Patton oswald cameo it's really good it's something to look forward to in the early goings so there are a couple of um things that i like about the first three episodes of this season that um I'm pretty sure, but I'm definitely hoping they'll continue to go down that road, which is, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit how, like, do you, how do you control someone like Homelander? Um, and in season one, it was Madeline Stillwell, and she had, you know, that motherly psychosexual thing. In this, it's clearly going to be a battle between Vought, um, run by Giancarlo Esposito, Stan Eg- Edgar, um, and Homelander who runs the seven and thinks he had, they, they both think they have the authority here. Right. And like, it's tough to exercise authority over someone who's as strong and as powerful and impervious as Homelander. Now you, you kind of alluded to it earlier on, but you can still have leverage over those people, right? You can still manipulate them emotionally. Uh, You can still, 
you know, if they have people they love, which, um, you know, he Homelander has a son, uh, maybe that can be used as leverage somehow. And they haven't quite gotten into that exactly yet. Um, but I'm curious to see if they go there because I don't know how else they're going to they're going to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, because the Giancarlo Esposito plays Stan Edgar like Gus Fring dealing like when he's dealing with Homelander, he's dealing like what Gus would deal with a corner tough. Yeah. Like he's utterly unafraid of this person. Mm-hmm. And there's this crackling energy because like Homelander's weirded out like because he's used to coming in like, oh, you don't have Madeline between you and me anymore. So I'm going to roll up and grab your balls and put them in the vice. And the fact that like he is not he just like dead, dead eyed stares and says, no, little boy, you're going to do the things I tell you to anyway, like it kind of puts Homelander back on his heels because he's like, who the fuck is this guy? But what's not clear to me is is Stan Edgar is like does Stan Edgar have superpowers of his own? I mean, he is the <laughs> guy who runs you know, Voight the guy International, right? Running the corporation, controlling the Compound V program, probably. Like, there's he a could scene experiment in, with himself if he wanted. Right, and there's the scene in the first episode where like Homelander confronts him, and you know John Carla gets up from his desk and like kind of like squares himself in a suit and takes off his glasses, and mm-hmm. I'm like. Holy shit, he just might punch this dude through and it it never happens. But the yeah. other thing is it could be that he just vastly overestimates how sane Homelander is and thinks, "Oh, sure. if I can find the or the right emotional lever or fulcrum that I can move this guy and just doesn't yeah. realize that Homelander cuz like in the early goes of Homelander, it's it's revealed that he really miss he probably regrets what he did to Madeline Stillwell. Mm-hmm. Like he's still obsessed with her. He he now that he's killed her and burnt her eyes out of her fucking skull sockets, uh, he regrets it. But like he also knows doesn't give a fuck. In the yeah. moment, he might do something on a whim that he can't fix, but he doesn't understand that or doesn't care or in the moment, nothing can stop him. So like they've really set him up as a character who does not have any weaknesses, emotional or physical. And it's really interesting to see a guy like Giancarlo play against that because they're both so good at doing what they're doing as an audience member. I don't like, Oh shit. Is Stan Edgar really just bluffing? Uh, does he have a trump card? Yeah. Is Homelander going to be so cowed by like, you know, is the, is the first guy who he meets that he can't just intimidate that it's going to fascinate him in such a way that like in a it's this weird kind of like father figure sense, mm-hmm. you know, like you had the mother figure. Now daddy's home. Like, is that going to like, but it's just it gives every scene that they're in like this crackling energy because like I'm just expecting Homelander's eyes to start glow or him to grab him by the throat and then what the fuck will happen? I, John Carlo might laugh in his face. He might punch him in the balls. He might just get his head exploded. Uh-huh. Who the hell knows? Yeah. Cause this, all of that stuff is in this show's wheelhouse. And that's what I think is really, really fun um, with it. Uh, the other thing is, you know, we talked about the big personalities like Anthony stars, Homelander, John Carlo Esposito as Edgar, uh, Stan Edgar. Uh, but I think Carl Urban as, you know, Billy Butcher is also one of these just enormously entertaining. Yeah. One of the most anti anti heroes I've ever seen, but he plays it with this like devil may care attitude that you can't help, but like, even Mm -hmm. when he's being a complete ass and has the entire team hating on him. Um, And they put that emotional core in him, right? That's that they play the sympathy card with his wife, uh, 
Right. And, and it works. Like, it shouldn't because he's such a colossal asshole to everyone around it, but it does work. Yeah, yeah. And then again, the signature, the violence of the show, like people just yeah. spontaneously getting turned into salsa. There's a hilarious inversion of like your typical Aquaman heroic scene involving the deep and a sperm whale that <laughs> I, it was the gift that kept on giving. Uh, and, and like, yeah, like, like signature, the boys, holy shit, is this actually happening? Oh yes, it's actually happening. And oh, oh, there's the aftermath to consider. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, they sit in that for a while, that scene. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, that's the thing is like, there's, there's like, there's the, there's the conventional superhero setup, the subversion, and then, oh, yes, now that we've subverted it, there's fallout that has to be considered. And yeah. they that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like I've seen the first two moves in some superhero deconstructions, but like the third beat where they actually have to deal with the ridiculousness afterwards is just, I like I said, it's, it's really, really entertaining. Um, uh, the other thing that I'm looking forward to this season after having seen three episodes, it's, it's pretty clear that the direction they're leaning with the soups versus the soup teas, which, you know, super villains, super terrorists, whatever, um, mm-hmm. is that that's potentially going to spin out of control, right? Like you've got Homelander who thinks he's a god, essentially creating these super terrorists who he's using for his own political means. That could very quickly get out of control because I think Homelander doesn't think he could he could accidentally create anything more powerful than himself, Sure. Uh, but in aggregate, maybe they are more powerful than him. Maybe they could present yeah. a real challenge that he couldn't just, you know, he couldn't put that genie back in the bottle. Uh, and I'm I'm really interested to see if that's where they're going with this season because it feels oh, like I never it's even so far. thought of that because because yeah, like a, a psychotic Superman can't uh, envision like him creating a dark side, you know, right, or like right. Uh, Galactus. A Galact, uh, or or some, or like a Thanos, you know? Yeah. Like, what if you create someone that is more powerful than you and more maniacal, or just so uh, many of them that you can't handle them? Yeah, right? You get true. overwhelmed with the sheer numbers. Uh, you get you get twenty dudes that are one tenth as strong as Superman, and suddenly he's got a fight on his hands. Yeah, right. that, I didn't consider that. That's that's a really interesting way to take it. Um, my only concern, honestly, for season two is. Um, Huey, I just don't care about Huey. There is a fascinating thing because he is the kind of the moral compass of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the team ne- doesn't necessarily appreciate it, especially like the 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 actual compass of the team, Butcher. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Like, I don't understand Starlight's fascination with him. Uh, he has this interesting pitch where he's like, you know, well, maybe I'm the like John Connor of the group where you just meet him and he's kind of like a whiny punk teenager, but he ends up being like the actual dude that's in charge of everything and saves everything. Yeah. And like, it would be a enormously satisfying arc if they can turn him into that. But right now I've got a guy who's got like less charisma than like Barry from the HBO show, Barry and no real skill set, And, He's got this, like, again, this super hot superhero win, like, that's after him. And I, I just like, ah, he uh, he he needs to he needs to get an edge. He needs to get he needs to have something that's more than just the moral foil of the group. Uh, 
and and I guess they I, I feel like the show kind of feels like they gave it to him in in, in episode three. And I, I'm just not buying it yet. But again, that flaw could be an enormous strength if they just can if they, if they got something in the script or this guy can dig deep to be something more than just the default setting of dude. Uh, but he has to be that to become the primary protagonist or to be because otherwise he's just like he's he's like the the what the show's all about. But he's the least interesting character by far on either the seven or the boys. So hmm. for him to become I need to see him become John Connor if if that is indeed going to happen or else he's just, you know, an audience surrogate that never outgrows that role. Um, and, and I'm ready for him to do it three episodes in. Yeah, I, I think you're right. They definitely continued like this this battle between, you know, what he wants and what Butcher wants. Um, even though they want the same things, they have hugely different approaches. Uh, I think that's sure. the real tension is like, who's going to win out there? And I'm enjoying what they're doing uh, from, from that angle uh, so far in season mm. two. I, I think they've set up a lot of good tension because at the end of season one, Butcher's gone, right? Like Butcher... Uh, He's, he's out missing in action. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Huey is kind of left to be the, be the center of this group, be the cohesive bond between them all. And I think, right. you know, that, that presents a challenge when Butcher comes back to, to the whole group, right? Like, is the group going to fall apart? Is it going to crumble under the, the tension between the two now leaders, or is it going to, come out the other side of this and i'm i'm still interested in that uh maybe more so like not from a huey perspective but more from a the boys perspective um that's the more fascinating side to me and maybe they could also just show can just outgrow him and like he becomes kind of more and more marginal because that's the thing it's like could the only be. reason he's on the boys to begin with is because he had a settlement negotiate that he wanted to negotiate that would get him to the top floor of the void uh, or the Vought, uh, uh, seven tower and he mm-hmm. could plant a camera there. And yep. increasingly it feels like the, he's, he's, I guess a kind of a burden on the team. And, and, and that's, that's not exactly fair because he does do things. He's got the, the thing, yeah. the relationship with starlight, but even then it's like, what the hell is that all about? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess it's because, you know, they had this kind of meet cute in a situation where they, neither one of them knew who the other was. So, like, you know, Starlight's fascination with him is that he's he, he kind of was attracted to her before he knew she was Starlight. And that's yeah. probably a big thing. But like, I, I just think they need to develop him more as a character to kind of can stand on his own and justify his existence rather than literally being the kind of wooby that the other team members carry around to humanize Butcher. Yeah, uh, I agree. And to keep. Yeah. 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 So uh, but again, that's that's a that's an enormous an easy uh, growth that 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 seems obvious and if the you know quaid uh ryan jeans follow through then he should be capable of it so <laughs> okay but but, uh, but I, i'm looking for that for the rest of the season yeah um speaking of the rest of the season we'll be back a week from now they're dropping so if you if you weren't aware the way the amazon is doing the boys which i hugely support as both a podcaster and a fan of television is they're going to drop the first three episodes to get everybody juiced up, uh, get some really good action, some really good character development, some really quotable dialogue, get everybody buzzing about it. And they're going to slow down and do an episode a week for the next five weeks to, to get the rest of the five episodes out. So next week we will have a, a coverage of all three of the, the, the opening episodes of, of season two. And then we'll be doing uh, deep dives 
uh, uh, scene by scene breakdowns of the other episodes throughout the rest of the season until we wrap up the boys. So I am actually really grateful that Amazon's trying to experiment with this because as much as the binge is is popular for people to watch, um, I, I have seen in the last few years it does tend to have a negative impact on the communities that want to discuss that because you got to like, you know, what do you do? Have a mega thread of mega threads on Reddit. You, you, you know, which podcast you stop and listen to when do you, you do you have to wait and watch the whole damn thing before you can interact with any fans. But where like part of the fun is like guessing what's going to happen and hearing everybody's crazy theories and stuff. And, and I like the Amazon's kind of like doing a blended approach. And, and I'm, I'm glad someone is experimenting and doing something other than the Netflix model of just, Fuck it, shovel it all out there. Have everybody binge on it in a week, and then it's 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 gone. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm curious to see if they're that they build the audience bigger, if there's more staying power with the boys because it's going to happen over a six week period rather than a single single week. Um, but that's what we're going to do. We will also be considering feedback each week. So if you'd like to send in your thoughts on the first few se- uh, episodes, um, do that at dhs at baldmove.com. And uh, we'll be considering those throughout our, our run on, on the boys. And uh, yeah, we're excited to have it back and have you guys with us. And well, then until next week, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. We'll see you then. <laughs>